0: From the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. You may be seated. And before we read our scripture, let us pray. Oh God, we ask that all we say and think and do may be pleasing to you this morning. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our passage in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10 is a passage that has basically three parts to it. It's uh, fairly long. And what comes immediately before it is one of Jesus' passion predictions, in other words, him talking about his own death. Listen for and hear the word of God. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we essentially have two stories within this passage that we read today. We have two stories, one being James and John coming to Jesus, the other being Bartimaeus, often called blind Bartimaeus, also coming to Jesus. James and John are seeking power, positions of power, and Bartimaeus is seeking sight. Jesus responds to both with exactly the same line. What is it that you want me to do for you? He says that to both of them. We'll come back to that. I want to talk about a particular song by a singer-songwriter who uh, loves Atlanta, and his name is Jason Isbell. And uh, Jason Isbell used to play at Eddie's Attic in Decatur when things were uh, small for him. And just a few weeks ago, played uh, after the Braves game at SunTrust Stadium. Uh, he won a Grammy this year for best American roots song, and that song is called "If We Were Vampires." If we were vampires. Now, we're not going to talk. It's not about vampires, literally. We're not, we're not going to get into that and fangs and blood and all that sort of thing. It's not about that. But it is a beautiful, poignant, and powerful song and sad. It is a metaphor of what it would be like if we knew that we could live forever as vampires do. Listen to some of these words. If we were vampires and death was a joke... We'd go out on the sidewalk and smoke and laugh at all the lovers and their plans. And I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand, but it's knowing that this can't go on forever. And one of us will spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together. One day I'll be gone. One day you'll be gone. There we go. The sad part, last week I got to preach about divorce, and today I'm going to preach slightly about death. But we're here to care for each other. One day you'll be gone, one day we'll be gone. So I am going to be transparent about using that word death. That might sound uh, glum, but an ending, an ending to something is where this story is. So the summer of Mark has come to an end. We have spent 14 weeks studying this gospel. Are you wistful about that? Are you sad looking back at the gospel of Mark being over for us right now? If we were vampires, we could study the gospel for infinity. We have other things to focus on this fall. The end of anything means change, and change often means grief. So here we are on Labor Day at a time of change when, for the most part, we see that summer is coming to an end, even if the heat isn't. We see that there are ends of the fun, ends of the freedom for children as we go back to school, even though here in the South that happens a month ago. Where I'm from, they're not starting till tomorrow. You've got a head start on them. But things change, and when that happens, we get different feelings. We might have a wistfulness for the vacations, for the things that have been done throughout the summer. How do we approach endings? How do we approach the end? Because we are not vampires, and one day we will be gone. How do we approach the end of summer? How do we approach the end of a relationship, the end of a project, or even the end of life? This Mark series, oh, remember the good old days of Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, chapter 5. Ryan's Sunday School's. Reflection groups. How many, were, how many of you were in a Bible study reflection group or attended Ryan Bonfilio's Sunday school throughout the summer? How many of you came to one of the Mark sermons in the sanctuary? All right, very good. If you were here at any Sunday over the last 14, you heard about Mark. I want to reflect on a couple of characteristics that, that you may have heard already, but we remind ourselves, and that is, first of all, that Mark is terse, is short. Mark has 11,000 words. The Gospel of Luke has 20,000 words. Matthew has 18,000 words. Mark only has 11,000. He gets to the point quickly and purposefully, even though our passage was a little bit long. There's no birth narrative And believe it or not, there's no actual appearance stories of Jesus after he has been raised from the dead. The story in Mark begins with Jesus' baptism and ends with disciples fleeing the empty tomb because they were afraid. There's no good Samaritan story or prodigal son. There's no sermon on the mount, no shepherds, no wise men. And a second characteristic in Mark is that he talks about what some call a messianic secret. Meaning that throughout his gospel, whenever he does a healing or an exorcism, he tells those for whom he has helped, go and tell no one. Because for him, he is looking at his own death and suffering and then resurrection as the point, not the healings, not what some might consider tricks, not things that even other people were doing at that time. So we know about this, the purpose in Mark. Yet here, James and John and Bartimaeus come wanting something, come wanting something more for their lives. For James and John, glory and for Bartimaeus, sight. By the way, that word Bartimaeus, bar meaning son, Timaeus is basically son of value or son of the honorable one or son of worth. So there's something kind of powerful in that name. Son of value is what we'll call it today. Jesus responds with that question to each of them. What is it that you want me to do for you? When we look at this passage today, it is important to see what has come before. Because three times Jesus has given this statement about his own death three times just within the previous chapters of where we get to in chapter 10. It says Jesus will suffer, be rejected, killed, and will rise again after three days. Jesus will be delivered, killed, and will rise after three days. Jesus will be delivered, condemned, mocked, flogged, killed, and will rise after three days. And that's the passage that leads into the story of James and John coming. And in each of these passion stories, these predictions that Jesus is giving, in each one, those who are there, the disciples or the crowds react and say, no way, this isn't going to happen. We're not going to let this happen. And in each one, Jesus rebukes them and tells them that they need to understand this. So James and John come to Jesus right after he said that he was going to be condemned, mocked, flogged, and crucified. Right after he told them that for the third time, and they say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Grant us that we may sit beside you in glory, that we may have positions of power. They were told Just how hard it would be for one who served riches and prestige to get into heaven. They were just told that in chapters 8 and 9. Yet they asked for glory. They were just told that the children should be allowed to come to Jesus. And yet they asked for power and for glory. They were just told as he sat down the twelve. And Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last and servant of all. Jesus just said that to them and they asked for these prize positions. So for us, at least for me, it's helpful to slow down and not be so critical of James and John. Again, because we are disciples also. And I think that there's some uncertainty within their lives that they're looking to control. We, we, even when we know, even when we know what is coming, we still seek reassurance and something to grasp onto, when there is something that we're afraid of, something that is coming up that we're not so sure about. We want something to grasp onto. The question is honest and self-preserving. They've heard him talk about his death. Of course, they're worried about their place in heaven. As we face de- death, we worry what will happen to us? What will happen to our loved ones? Many of you have seen, and us Presbyterian ministers are going to be quoting it for decades. Many of you have seen the, the film Won't You Be My Neighbor? about Mr. Rogers. And in, this, in that movie, we're going to get, go to the end. There's some spoiler here. By the way, Dr. Worth is at the very end of that movie and has a key line. But at the end, Fred's wife says that as he was on his deathbed, he was thinking about the story of the sheep and the goats and how God separates them. And there are some that are good or go to heaven. There are some that are bad who go to the other place. And Mr. Rogers asked her, do you think I'm a sheep or a goat? And she says, paraphrasing, if anyone is a sheep, it's him. But even him in that moment of death was questioning, was wondering what will happen, was seeking his place before the throne of God, wanting to know that there would be a place. We all seek comfort about what comes next. Practically speaking, I want to say a word about one of the things we do in the care office here at the church, that, do any of you know where the care office is? Yeah. So, third floor in the other building, get off the elevator and make a couple lefts and you'll find us. We've put together a document over time. Some say uh, Dr. Uh, Tricia Centerfit put it together. Legend has it, Reverend Chris Morekish might have. But we've adjusted it over time and the document's called Mortal Matters. And the idea here is to allow oneself to think about their own death. And we use that word death, which may sound harsh or blunt. The long version of the document asks you to look at your life and asks one to, one to focus on their life and say what it was that was meaningful. What matters to you? Who do you love? How would you like to be remembered? Both the long and the short versions also ask details about the service, about your wishes for a time, about being cremated or buried, scattered or interred. Who would you like to have speak at your service, scriptures, hymns, etc. And doing this, for some it might not ever feel comfortable. But in doing this, it places value on who you are as a child of God. That you are worth as Bartimaeus, the son of value, was, that you are worth a time for others to remember you. It's also a gift to those around you, family and friends, to know what your wishes were, almost as if we are asking them, in a time of reflection about our own mortality, what is it you want me to do for you? Just as Jesus was approaching death, by the way, five days later, after this story of Bartimaeus. I'm going to go back to that song by Jason Isbell. Maybe time running out is a gift. I'll work hard till the end of my shift and give you every second I can find. Because it's knowing that this life can't go on forever that likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. One day we will be gone. And one day Jesus was gone. We talked about what came before our passage. Just as important it is to talk about what comes after our passage. And that is the funnel that is Jerusalem heading toward Jesus suffering, as he said, and dying. Chapter 11 has us entering that last week of his life. And it's essentially, it's exactly the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem with people cheering hosannas that we celebrate on Palm Sunday, a different time of the year than it is now. But that's what happens directly after our stories. So if we look at this story of Bartimaeus, after having looked at James and John, we see different things in this story that stand out. Number one, at the beginning of the story, it says that they're leaving Jericho. In other words, the parade down into Jerusalem is essentially begun. They're leaving Jericho, getting ready. Secondly, we have Bartimaeus shouting, have mercy on me. Twice, have mercy on me. Recognizing God's power through Christ, not seeking his own. Last week, we asked about how we might approach approach Jesus just like a child, and we hear that he springs up, throws off his cloak, and comes to Jesus. Almost like a child who knows that he will be taken up into Jesus' arms, who knows that he will be healed. He follows Jesus into the dark, into knowing what comes next. He follows. That's the word at the end of the story. He follows The disciples from the very beginning were told to pick up their crosses and follow. And here is this man, blind Bartimaeus, son of value, who is following. Mark chapter 16, the end of Mark, in its earliest versions, stops with those disciples leaving the empty tomb and going away afraid. I think that story and the reason it is that way without telling any of the appearances of Jesus wants us to get the consequences of death, consequences of the death of Jesus, that he didn't just die to be raised, but that he died and that there was grief in their lives, that there was sorrow for them in these days that they had in these days without him, that they might've been in those depths of grief. And Mark recognizes that, leaves the tomb empty, perhaps asks us then to go and tell the story. Just this year in our church, we have had around 15, 14 or 15 memorials or funeral services. Early on in the year, we had five in eight days. We had one just yesterday for a member named Adrian Thomas. Family and friends might be feeling the same way those disciples felt and so as Bartimaeus follows Jesus into Jerusalem, we recognize the grief that is to come and the grief that is a part of some of the lives right now in this congregation. Some of the lives of those who are suffering from someone who has died and the grief that comes with that. In recent years or even many years, where healing has not completely come. How might we talk to those disciples who watched Jesus die? And how might we talk to one of us who has lost a loved one? There are some words that I think are important and helpful. This is adapted from a psychiatrist named Christy Heitken Ewing. And within talk about how to talk to someone who has lost a loved one, She says, there are three simple but extremely helpful and healing solutions anyone can do. Show up, say, I'm sorry for your loss, and listen. Don't say, I know how you feel. Say, I feel for your pain. We try not to uh, push our feelings onto another person or to push our ideas of what they should feel like at the time of death. Everyone's journey is unique. We can ask, how are you doing? And again, really listen or say nothing and let them guide the conversation or even offer just a hand on the shoulder or if they are the type, a hug. Your presence matters no matter how reluctant you feel. And as time goes on, as months go on, grief takes on different and strange uh, forms One of those is you realize nobody's talking about your loved one anymore. And so for us, supporting others who have lost someone, what we can do is go to them and say, tell us a story. Tell us something about that one who you lost. Tell us about that one who died. And it helps, again, to heal things. Knowing that we can't go on forever, we can tend to one another. Last week, we talked about that involving divorce and how we can be in each other's lives. And we can be for each other at the time of death. We can be for each other a month later, six months later, 25 years later, 40 years later. The end comes. The end comes in this story as the tales of Jesus' journey with all the disciples begins to funnel into the last week of his life. The end has come for the summer of Mark from this pulpit and our classrooms. The end of the summer is here, and someday we will have an end. James, John, and Bartimaeus are not vampires, and neither are we. But they're wondering about how to approach this Jesus who will die. Yet, it is this Jesus... Who comes to James and John, to Bartimaeus, to the disciples, to us, even in a time of death, and says, What is it that you want me to do for you? What is it that you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responded by throwing off his cloak, running toward Jesus, and then following him into Jerusalem and to that time of sorrow, a willingness to leave behind everything and to go with Jesus. What is it you want me to do for you? Amen.